This morning, we're kicking off a brand new series. It's our summer series. We'll actually spend eight weeks uh, teaching this series called Heart of Warriors and of Poets, of Warriors and of Poets. And, and what this is, is we're teaching in the book of Psalms. We won't teach through the entire book of Psalms, but we're going to spend the next week, uh, eight weeks, and teach through the book of Psalms. And Psalms is this incredible book. If you've never spent any time in it, I, I just think we're going to open up a world where you're like, Did, was that really in there? Where you, they are soulful, they are powerful. You get to hear the honest confessions of people wrestling with God. And yet at the same time, in that there are these prayers that lead us to the very throne of God. And my prayer through this series is that you will learn how to respond and know God in ways that you had never experienced before. And so I, I want to do an introduction to the book of Psalms since we're spending so much time there to give you a bit of an overview of what it is about before we dive in. This morning we're going to start with Psalms 1. We won't go through all of them. There's 150 of them, but we'll start with one and we'll actually end with Psalm 150. Uh, but I wanted to give you an introduction of what is this book all about. Now, Psalms is a collection of praises. Uh, the Hebrew word there is tehillim. It, it is, uh, that's the actually word or the title of the book in Hebrew, uh, meaning it's a praise book, although there is far more in it than praises. Uh, the Greek wording of it is really a song book, but it's a, it's a collection of 150 praises and prayers, tefillet. Uh, this whole idea of this is prayers. One of the things I love uh, is... This will change the way you worship, by the way, is, is when we think about our songs and our worship as prayers, not just songs that we sing. Uh, my brother is a producer and a songwriter, and he writes lots of songs and has been pretty successful at it. And so one of the songs that we sang today is one of his songs. Uh, what, what, I forget which one it was. Which, it's the middle one. I said, it, I said it wrong in the last service. Which one is it? Yeah, Great Are You God? I, Lord, man, I, I really hope my brother's not watching this at this. But he writes these songs that we sing all around the world. Um, and one of the things that I loved is uh, that changed the way I worshiped was when he talks about his songs, he talks about them as his prayers. It's like, wow, that these are his prayers and that people are singing his prayers. It will transform when you worship, by the way. When you go into this, this is my soul cry, and this is my prayer to God, and not just a rote thing, and not just nice music. And so it's a collection of praises and of prayers. Historically, it spans about a thousand years. The earliest psalm that we have is the Psalm of Moses, and that's around the time of 450 BC. And then it goes all the way into when Israel is now returning from exile and returning back to Jerusalem in about um, uh, 1400 BC. The genre then of the psalms is it is poetry. It's a song. And so you have all the... Um, 
style of poetry from uh, similes and metaphors, assonance and um, word plays. And yet uh, the Hebrew poetry lacks rhyme or regular meter. Uh, Its most distinctive and pervasive feature is parallelism. And so I want you to pay attention to that as we go through this study. The authorship is there's lots of different authors throughout it, but most notably is that of David. 73 Psalms are attributed to King David. He's Israel's greatest king. Uh, And one of the things that, for some that are thinking, well, why are we starting a series on Psalms? Isn't that like mushy on Father's Day? Shouldn't we do something about, oh, you know? And here's what's amazing. The Psalms give us an inside look at one of the greatest kings in history, and it lets us see the heart of the warrior. And what's so incredible is often what we see on others is we just get to see the outside, but rarely get to see the internal processing. And then through the Psalms, we get to see David's highs, his lows, moments of where he's crying out and needing help, moments where he's declaring victory and celebration, and moments where he's just made a really stupid mistake. And he confesses. And we get a picture and a window into the heart of this great leader. Asaph and the sons of Korah were both employed. Asaph was uh, the chief musician in David's court. And so many of the Psalms are all connected um, to David. Heman wrote two, uh, Solomon wrote two, and Moses wrote one. And then 49 of the Psalms are anonymous. The structure of this book is that the Psalms are divided into five different books. The way the the collectors put this book together, there's five different books, and at the end of each of those books, and you'll notice if you go through the Psalms, you'll see it says book one, book two, book three, and the very last Psalm is a Psalm of praise. Every single time is this psalm of praise. And what you'll find is the psalms takes us on this incredible journey and helps us wrestle with the brokenness of life and the goodness of God. And if you've ever wrestled with that, ever wrestled with looking around at the world and ever wanted to just really go, why God? The Psalms gives us incredible permission to do that and yet at the same time gives us the pathway upon which we don't go down a uh, self-destructing avenue but then moves us to the very heart of God of where we actually meet and experience God in a way that we never could before. Psalm 1 and 2 act as the introduction. Psalm 1 we'll be talking about really focuses on the law or the writings of God, the teachings of God. Psalm 2 focuses on the future Messiah who will come and restore and make all things right. And then you have this conclusion. Uh, The last five psalms are all psalms of praise. And it really takes you on this journey. In fact, most uh, most of the psalms that are these kind of griping songs happen in the very beginning of the book, and you notice that as you progress through, it turns more towards a focus of the future of what God's going to do, will do, and his goodness. And so it closes with five psalms of all praise of declaring his greatness. There's so much in this structure I'd love for you to get, and we don't have time to dive into it, and it would turn into a seminary course. And so here's what I want you to do. The Bibleproject.com 
is an amazing resource. They create these incredible videos. Would you look it up? It's on the back of your notes. I have it, the reference there. Look up Psalms. It's an eight-minute video, but you'll get such a bigger understanding, a better understanding of this book as we dive into it and take time to dive in there. Now, just as we have love songs, just as we have, uh, you know, sad songs and celebration songs and unfortunately country songs... uh, Sorry, I, this is a country crowd, this one. Oh, oh, that one. My brother, not the songwriter, but the other, uh, I have another brother. He is a massive, massive country fan. I was born in Texas, and somehow that missed me. I don't know why. But the Psalms are a compilation of many different types. Uh, you have all different styles of Psalms. You have, first and foremost, that you have hymn songs. They're songs of praise and joy and celebration. We'll close out the series, Psalm 150, uh, with, a, with a hymn or a song of praise. And then you have what's known as lament Psalms. These are prayers of pain, confusion, and anger. Psalm 73 is such a great one. If you're in a place of wrestling with God, go to Psalm 73 and just sit in it. And here's what's fascinating. Did you know that a little over a third of the Psalms are lament Psalms? I don't know if you ever felt like you didn't have permission to cry out to God, to share your pain with God, to talk about how unjust or how unfair or how not right this is, or how to just go, God, where are you? And yet the Psalms lead us give us that raw honesty, and yet also are able to direct us so that we then turn to God and find him as our resource, as our strength. We have thanksgiving psalms. These psalms are reorienting us to the very goodness of God. In fact, one of the most powerful things you can do is to thank God just like it will change your perspective on life. You wake up and go, man, this is going to be a lousy day. This is going to be a no good day. Um, my, everything's going wrong. Just start thanking. So powerful. Just start thanking. It reorientates uh, your focus and vision on the goodness of God. And you start with the basic thing, too. Thank you, God, for breath. Okay. Thank you for life. Thank you that I have a body that works. I'm not going to take that for granted. Thank you. I know this is the most expensive place in the world to live, but man, thank you for allowing me to be here. There's a lot of places people are living that are really, really rough. Thank you that we get to gather in freedom for our faith where others are dying for their faith. Thank you, God. All of a sudden, it reorients. Isn't it amazing? It just begins to reshape your perspective. And as you dive into the Psalms of Thanksgiving, it's what it does. It lifts your heart to the goodness of God. Then there's royal Psalms. And royal Psalms are songs that were both sung in the courts of the king, uh, but also those that are messianic, that look forward to the one day future king who will restore and make all things right. You have deliverance psalms where you're crying out to God for rescue. Uh, We'll look at Psalm 121 uh, in about five weeks, uh, this one. And you'll notice in that area of the Psalter, yeah, that's what you call it, the Psalter. It's kind of weird, but you do. Uh, But at at the Psalter, you'll notice that it'll say Psalms of Ascent. And it's this really, we'll talk about it, but it's this really neat thing where uh, what the Israelites would do is once a year, they would take a trek and pass over to Jerusalem. Now it's dangerous 
to travel. There, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong. And so you'll see these songs of ascent that they would sing on their journey towards the holy city to celebrate with the people of God what God has done. And yet they would sing songs like Psalm 121. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Well, the hills is where danger was, by the way. The hills was as they're walking through the valley, they're looking up, and that's where predators and robbers and everything hid out. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I'm going to lift my eyes just a little bit higher. My, eye, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And all of a sudden, it gives you these deliverance and cry for help. Then you have confession psalms, this coming clean before God. Psalm 51 is a powerful psalm of David in one of his greatest failures in life. I'm going to talk about that, that your failures don't make you a failure, and your failures are never final, and God can use you in the midst of that and bring healing and wholeness. And then finally, there's didactic psalms, or teaching psalms, or wisdom psalms. And these are psalms that teach us about life, and teach us about the way of life, and how to truly experience life. And Psalm 1 is just that, a wisdom psalm. So, Before we dive in, I know that was a lot. Let me pray for us as we dive into this incredible, powerful book. Jesus, thank you so much for this moment. Thank you that you have brought us here. That in this moment, you want to speak to us. You literally want to shape our souls. You want to correct our vision. Father, we ask that you would have your way in this space, that you would move and that you would work, that we would hear from your word, we would respond and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Everybody wants to look back and be happy about his or her life. Everybody wants to look back on their life and be happy with their life. I mean, to have this deep sense of fulfillment, this deep sense of satisfaction of a life well lived. And every single one of us, there are these defining moments, aren't there? When you look back on your life, however much life you look back on, There are these defining moments, moments that shape who you are, moments that are turning points, moments that are make or break moments in your life. They're the moments that often turn into the career path that you take. It sometimes happens in a conversation, near-death experience. There's moments that shape who you spend the rest of your life with or where you're going to journey and travel and what type of life you're going to live. And these defining moments often catch us by surprise. Many times we're unaware that we're in a defining moment until it's already passed and we look back with hindsight. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? Part of the problem is that none of us want to look back on life and have this sense of regret that have major areas where we wish we did it differently. I wonder what might have been. 
You have those defining moments that you look back on. I wish I would have chosen a different path. I wish I would have gone a different direction. If only I had said no in that moment, I wonder where my life would be. How do you successfully navigate life? I mean, how do you make sure that you end up happy with your life? You end up looking back at your life satisfied and fulfilled with the life that you've led. And in kind, is there a way to ensure that you successfully navigate these defining moments of life? It is quite intentional why the Psalms open with this psalm. And the collectors arrange and put Psalm 1, and it begins this way. Blessed. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it day and night. That word blessed, it's often for us, it's almost a non-meaning word in our day because it's hashtag blessed, right? Um, But the Hebrew has a very specific word for blessed, and that's not it. The literal translation of this is happy. Happy is the one. This is the process or the path by which you're going to experience happiness, And I don't know about you, but I want to be happy with my life. I guess you don't. That's fine. You don't have to be happy with your life. And the psalmist opens up with this incredible invitation to happiness, setting the stage for how we can successfully navigate life, how to be happy with our life. And here's what he says. Happy people don't do a certain thing. Happy people avoid something. Happy people, happy is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, that word wicked uh, biblically literally means this. One who lives as if there is no God. Now, I, it doesn't mean one who believes there is no God. One who lives as if there is no God. It's not the worst person in the world you can imagine. It is the person who's going about life and consciously or unconsciously lives as if there is not a creator, there is not a God in heaven that says, you know what, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to live for now. Life's all about them and for them. Life's all about their family. Life's all about their career. Life's all about upward movement. And we find this pattern even in the church. See, you can be, quote, Christian and live as if there is no God. In fact, for some, for some, For some, some people go to church on Sunday 
and yet live as if there is no God Monday through Saturday. It makes no difference. Think about this. There is a holy, creator, righteous, and pure God who spoke, and all things came into existence, and whom we sung about, who invites us into a relationship, and then Monday through Saturday we go, now I'm just getting my stuff done. For some, we even... There's some who might even read the Bible. And yet, simply pick and choose what you like out of it. Well, I like this part, and so I'm going to follow that. The love part sounds nice, but this part I don't really like. And so you follow what's convenient, and you stay away from what's convicting. Which ultimately makes you the ultimate authority and not God. Some even do this with missional communities, our way of doing community. And, and it's, it's a, approaching community in such a way of like, you know, this, the Proverbs talks about as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, that we're created for one another, that we, this commitment to one another creates refinement in our lives, but, but it's painful at times. It's, it's, it's one where sparks fly, and so you have to have this deep commitment to one another and, and want the best for the other person, trusting they want the best for you, and so you stick with it, even though it gets hard, and yet often how we do community is, what do I get out of it? Meet my need, and then I go on. In fact, Dallas Willard, he's a, an incredible Christian philosopher, was, he's now passed, said this, that, that we see in the church today what he calls vampire Christians, and he writes this, he says that vampire Christians say this to Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, please, <laughs> But I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, <laughs> um, won't you excuse me a while while I get on with my life? I'll see you in heaven. Happy, blessed is the person who does not live as if there is no God. And there's a progression here, by the way. Walk, stand, sit. Walk, stand, sit. See, it happens gradually, doesn't it? And for some, started out in your career and said, I'm going to be different. And yet the pace of the Silicon Valley has run you aground. The pace of that startup has consumed you. And you're just getting caught up with the crowd and how everybody else does life. And even with your family, you go, you know what? Everyone else is running around. They're running crazy, trying to make sure their kids experience everything, going to this event. And they're, you know, they got four different sports and they're, you know, doing after-school studies. Why? Because we want our, the best for our kids, and yet you find that you're only a chauffeur. You go, I'm never going to be that. And then we just get caught up into it because it happens gradually over time. And it's all to get ahead, isn't it? It's all so that we have a better life. It's all, interestingly, so that we might one day, someday be happy. And yet this is true in this area more than I think anywhere else I've seen that we find ourselves ever striving yet never arriving. He says happy. Happy is the one who doesn't find themselves striving to somehow get ahead in the absence of God. Happy is the one 
who doesn't live as if they are the center of the universe, as if now is all there is, but whose delight, whose pleasure. Like, think about it. I don't know what you delight in. I don't know what you're, like, like, you just go like, ah. Like, when you delight in something, right? It's like, think about it. Like, ah. I don't know, maybe it's a meal. I don't know. It's a, what's your favorite meal? You're like, oh, I love that meal. It's amazing. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a person you haven't seen in a long time. And just like, I, what happens to your face? It just like immediately kind of just goes, ha. Ah. It's amazing. We'll move heaven and hell to be with that which we delight in, isn't it? It says, happy is the one who finds their pleasure, their delight, what? In the law of the Lord. Well, that's awesome. It would be great if it just said, like, the Lord, because, hello, that seems right, but you had to go to the law of the Lord, and you're telling me to delight in the law, and not only that, who meditates, who thinks about, who ponders, who cherishes, who keeps before them continually, day and night, his law. Um, when my wife and I were dating, we spent a year, uh, most of our actually dating relationships was long distance, but one year was international. And I was in Chicago and she was in Sweden. And in that day, we didn't have Facebook or any other social media and we did not have FaceTime, uh, had calling cards to call one another. Uh, and even email was a bit spotty just because of Jenny's circumstances in um, in Sweden. And so do you know what we did? Got out the pen and the paper and we just started writing. I loved going to my little post office box at my school and open it up and there was a card from Jenny. Um, my friends for a long time didn't believe I had a girlfriend because she was always long distance, you know. And I always, I'm like, she's not fake and this is a real picture. Um, she looks like a supermodel, so I could see why they didn't believe me. But the minute I got that letter, my face lit up. My demeanor, my countenance changed. I have every single letter that she sent me during that year's period. I keep it in a box, and every once in a while, I would just go through it. Why? Because those letters are precious to me. Not because somebody wrote me a letter. There's lots of letters I have not kept. But the one who wrote it to me is precious. See, the object of my affection, my love, who's far away in this moment, took time in Sweden, where there's a lot of other good-looking, better-looking Swedish guys to write a Swedish guy in Chicago. She took time to write me a note. I read those, reread those, cherished those, went like, I can't believe it. This girl wrote me a freaking note. And the God of the universe said, oh God, by the way, I delight in you. Like, I delight in you. 
You're so precious to me. I long to have you be in a relationship with me. I long for you to know me, and I long to know you. I long to be in this. And so, by the way, I wrote you a note so that you can know my heart, so that you can know my love. I wrote you a note. I took time to write you a note. And when you get wrecked by God, by the way, when God no longer becomes something, an idea, but becomes this personal, loving Father, this changes. It changes. It changes from a checklist to like, oh God, your word. How, how could you write me this note that you cared that much? And I get to know you. St. Augustine, one of the great thinkers and writers of the early church, he, he was in familiar territory of walking in step with the wicked and the way of the sinner and the company of mockers. If you read his confessions, you'll see that he tried everything. And he had a defining moment with God. And he wrote this. He said, You, speaking of God, have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Like, this is why it makes the most sense. Happy is the one. Happiness is not this elusive carrot out there that somehow when you get upwardly mobile or own the home or find the right person, then you'll be happy. You'll always be chasing. See, because happiness isn't a destination. It is a path you take. If happiness is at the end of the road, you'll always be searching. But happy is the one who says, you know what? I was made for you. And my soul is restless until it finds rest in you. And here's why. Here's why. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Like rooted. Like not transient, not unstable. Deeply rooted and grounded by life which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but when they begin to understand that they have a God who delights in them and they're wrecked by it and so they find their delight in him. They're like a tree planted by streams of water. Notice that it said that it yields its fruit in season. You were made to flourish, by the way. You were designed to thrive and not just survive. You were made to experience stability, rootedness, and fruitfulness in your life. Not every season is a fruitful season, though, is it? 
fruit comes in a particular season. If you look at a tree, you have the early years of new growth. There's not fruit at that time. And then you have seasons in that. You have seasons of pruning. You have seasons of even dormancy, right? When it looks like that the tree is dead and yet is still alive. Who yields its fruit in season, what? But whatever they do prospers. Think about this, because I hope this wrecks you. You can prosper even when life is not fruitful in that moment or season. Prospering isn't connected to fruitfulness. Prospering is connected to rootedness. Did you know that some of the most significant root development and growth happens when there is no fruit on the tree? That the roots actually are growing all the time, even though fruit only comes in a certain season. And though we celebrate what happens on the fruit side of it, what we know is the health of the root determines the health of the fruit. And your rootedness and what happens below the surface is so much more important than what happens above the surface. Our culture simply celebrates the above fruit culture. And for some, you walked in this room and you're in a winter season and it feels dormant and cold and you feel barren. Or maybe you're in a pruning season and you're wondering what is God up to and why? And you're in a season where God is doing deep work. He says, I'm with you. In fact, these are the seasons when your roots are growing deep your stability, your foundation. If you'll lean, happy is the one. If you'll lean and run into me in this moment, you'll experience me in ways you could never dream. That God is in the middle, in the midst of each of those seasons. And so, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. Meaning, when they look back on their life, They will not be happy with their life. And when they stand in light of eternity, they will not stand. Nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. For the Lord watches over or knows the way of the righteous. Like intimately connected, involved, attentive. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So how do you make sure you end up happy with your life? Now, I've been really intentional about that preposition right there. Um, not happy in life. Some of us are striving and striving for happiness in life. And I said it earlier. Happiness is a course that you take, a path that you take, not a destination, so that you can look back on the life that you lived and go, man, I'm so glad. I'm so thankful. That decision in that moment was so hard. It was so painful to stand up. It was so hard to take the right path. I, man, it was so difficult. But as I look back, I am so happy with my life. I'm so happy and thankful. 
The Psalms, Psalm 1 would tell us there's two paths. Path number one is basically you choose you. Live as if there's no God. You do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. You do you. How's that working for you? I stole that from Dr. Phil. (laughs) And sometimes we couch you do you with these grandiose terms in our work. It's like, no, 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 I'm I'm building this for, or with our families. I want our kids to have Path number two. Simply, you run to God. Oh, I can't run in this season. It's the winter season. Psalm 63 would say this, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I love this. I clung to this. My soul clings to God. Because sometimes you're there. That's all you got. That's all you got. You're like, I ain't running right now. I'm clinging. Here I am, God, and I'm not letting go. And you hope in God. Where you go, I cannot believe the God of the universe, the creator who spoke all things into existence and who sustains all of life knows my name. We should be stinking taken back by that. God knows your name and God wrote you a book so that you could know him. Happiness, not a path, is a path, not a destination. Happy is the person who does not live life as God does not exist, but delights in the Lord. That person's rooted, anchored, established, unshakable by the storms of life, fruitful in season. And how do we successfully navigate then those defining moments of life. Those moments that are the turning point, the make or break, and we all have them. Game three of the NBA finals. It's Father's Day. I can do whatever I want, so I'm talking about the... (laughs) Was perhaps the most decisive, important game for the Warriors. If you watched it, and I hope everyone did, what you'll know is it was such a tight game, and in the fourth quarter, the Cavs had the momentum and the lead. We started to make a little bit of a comeback, but still, it was the Cavs game, and if you're a Warriors fan, you're nervous because we're thinking what happened last year, and I don't want another Father's Day like last year. What happened last year is going to happen this year, and then we have a KD, though, and KD, Kevin Durant, grabs a rebound. We're down by one at the moment. He pulls up, dribbles all the way down, right in front of him, the best player in the world, supposedly LeBron James, steps up, doesn't look around, and just pulls it up from deep. Nothing but net. We go up one, momentum shifts. And if you look and watch game four, you knew we needed game three. 
sports commentator. Afterwards, she was interviewing KD and talking about that moment. Well, were you feeling nervous in that moment? Like, I can't believe, you know, you're down two and that you just pulled up. What were you thinking? I love his response. No, <laughs> not nervous. You know why? I've been practicing that shot my whole life. See, how we practice in the mundane everydayness of life determines how you perform in the defining moments of life. See, your decisions that you make in obscurity will define how you respond and will define your destiny. And for some, this is a call, by the way, friends, that somehow you think that when the moment really matters, you'll step up. One day, someday, I'll get real with God. One day, I'm, I'm going to align my life. The practice of your life determines the performance in the most critical moments of your life. This summer, with us, would you begin to put into practice and get into this love note from God to you and you just begin to go, okay, God, I want to know you. I want to hear from you. I want to be changed by you. And I know that as, as we begin to talk about this, there, there's for some this inner critic, for some that look back on the life they had and defining moments that they had and look back and go, you know what? I just didn't cut it or I have a whole lot of I wish I would have done it differently moments in life. And here's the good news of the gospel. Though you cannot go back and do it all over again, you can start now and have a brand new end. And for some, today is a brand new beginning. Where you go, God, I'm running to you. God, I'm clinging to you. God, that whole delight thing, I ain't there, but I want to delight. And by the way, he responds to that because he's perfect, heavenly father. Just the cry, God, I'm, I'm not there, but I want that. And he meets you there. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with a song. And for some this morning, th this last part is what you need to hear. In Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Some of you just simply need to hear God has already started a good work in you. It's God's work, not your work, and so he's going to complete it. And so would you just lean into it instead of just feeling like, oh, I can't. You can't, but he can, and he's going to do a good work and will complete it in you. He is faithful.
He is faithful. Would you run to him this morning?